And if you've ever been somewhere new, have you ever been into, in a new town, new school, new job, and you get that like sick feeling in your stomach the first day you show up, and it feels like butterflies and just not in your stomach? I imagine Ruth having that same exact feeling as they're walking towards Bethlehem, and she sees it, and she knows that she is not gonna be accepted. She knows that it's not gonna be easy. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're gonna be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are gonna encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. Happy Sabbath. So, how many of you remember where you were on 9-11? I was in fifth grade, and I was eating breakfast, getting ready for school, and my grandma ran into the kitchen. We were living with my grandparents at the time, my entire family. And I didn't understand the magnitude of what was happening. I didn't understand why she was, why it was so hysterical. And I just remember looking at the screen and, and the rest of the day at school, everyone seemed a little bit off. Pretty much for most of my life, all I've known is our country to be at war. And it seems that if it's not, it was not that, that everywhere on the news today, there seems to be war somewhere. And it goes past the news. There's war in our own lives, between family, within the workspace. And you wonder, what can change this? And so tonight, I want to share with you a concept, a word, so powerful that it has the potential to change the world and our lives. This concept is found in the book of Ruth, and it's found in the Hebrew word hesed. If you've never heard that word before, the definition of that, it describes a love, a love that is so powerful. It's a loving kindness that goes above and beyond normal expectations. It's a term that describes this deep concern for someone. And when you as a rescuer, out of that deep concern and that loving kindness come and you snatch someone out of a serious situation. So we're gonna be going through the book of Ruth and I'm gonna share with you four scenes where this has said, this loving kindness is exemplified by the most unlikely characters in the most unlikely ways. So Ruth is often spoken of, or I've heard it spoken of, in a very Hallmark-style, love-at-first-sight, romantic story. But the concept of his head, this loving kindness, 
is so powerful that it's actually the catalyst that moves this story forward. We find ourselves in a very severe famine in Bethlehem. Many families were escaping, trying to get out of Bethlehem because of how bad that famine was. And Naomi and her family also were escaping Bethlehem to Moab. They were there for about 10 years, and during those 10 years, a lot happened. They, their two sons married two of the Moabite women, and unfortunately, Naomi loses her husband and her two sons, leaving her with the two Moabite daughter-in-laws. So we see Naomi having lost her husband, having lost her two sons in a foreign land, completely and utterly destroyed. She's in this dark pit of sadness, depression, and feels alone and like God has completely left her. She starts her journey back to Bethlehem. And I don't know why she chose to go to Bethlehem. I don't know if she felt, you know what? I have nothing here. I don't have anything in Bethlehem. Doesn't really matter where I'm at now. Whether I make it to Bethlehem or not, no one really cares. She was in such a dark place that she couldn't see past that. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place, but it's so hard to come out of that. She starts her journey back to Bethlehem with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, coming along with her. Shortly into their journey, she tells them, I have absolutely nothing for you. Go home, like, just you have a better chance at a better life. Go back to your mother's homes. Orpah chooses to return, and we don't know why, but we can't really blame her, right? Because how, how many of us would actually go through and choose to journey with someone who's so, so in the darkness into a completely unknown space? So she returns home and Ruth stays. And we see in chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, Ruth told Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Maybe you've heard this at a wedding, and there's a reason why this is often read in weddings. Because the promise that Ruth is speaking to Naomi is so significant. And I imagine Ruth just falling to the ground, grabbing Naomi's legs and telling her, no, like, I'm not leaving you. Please let me go with you. Ruth is telling her, I'm not going to leave you from now and even till past death. The promise she's making to Naomi, she's telling her that even after Naomi passes, She's promising to stay in that space, in an unknown space, alone, to be buried next to her. 
we don't know what Ruth's background was, why she chose to go with Naomi. Maybe she was, her heart was close to God. She had been convinced by the God of her mother-in-law and her husband. Maybe she just took the time to come next to Naomi and recognize how, how alone she was and how much she was hurting and chose to journey next to her. One of my favorite authors is Francine Rivers, and she, she writes a book that, dictate, that depicts the life of different women in the Bible. And there's, she takes creative license in some of it, but she paints a picture of Ruth, and she paints a picture of her going back to her own mother's home, and her own mother tells, tell, telling her, why are you gonna go with that family? Why are you staying with them? Why do you believe in that God? He's done nothing for you. So maybe Ruth also went with Naomi because she was now also a foreigner and an outsider in her own home. She chose to care for Naomi. She chose to accompany her, foregoing security and a life she knew. Now, I picture, like I said, Ruth on the ground holding Naomi's legs, and Naomi's looking at her with this completely flat face, no emotion, no energy left, and she turns around and walks. Ruth gets up and she goes with her. I don't know what they said. The Bible doesn't tell us what they said in that very long journey. But I imagine Ruth thinking with every step she's taking, where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? Dear God, help us. So they, they, they keep walking, and Bethlehem now is in the distance. And if you've ever been somewhere new, have you ever been into, in a new town, new school, new job, and you get that like sick feeling in your stomach the first day you show up, and it feels like butterflies and just not in your stomach? I imagine Ruth having that same exact feeling as they're walking towards Bethlehem, and she sees it, and she knows that she is not going to be accepted. She knows that it's not going to be easy. They get to the Bethlehem gate. All the women come out and are saying, Naomi, you're back. And Naomi says, stop. Like, that is not my name. I have absolutely nothing. Call me Mara. She says, bitter woman. I have nothing? Really, Naomi? Your daughter-in-law just for just chose to accompany you, and she's standing next to you, and you say you have nothing. Ruth, standing on the side, stands out from the way she looks to the way she dresses. No one addresses her. And when this scene comes to an end, something that I realized when I was studying this was all these people came to greet Naomi, but not one invited even Naomi into their home. So that leaves these two women homeless. And some of the commentaries say that they probably lived in, amongst the caves or inside the caves. They have no food. Ruth has no legal status, no family. And Ruth quickly jumps into action. She doesn't sit in her mourning. She doesn't have a chance to because somebody has to do something. And she jumps into action, and she tells Naomi, I'm going to go, 
I'm going to go get food. I'm going to go to the fields. And she knows that this is a risk because when she's talking to Naomi, she says, I will go into in, to a field that belongs to someone in whom I find favor. So she already knows. So this woman's pretty courageous. And I think it's God's divine intervention that she was in Boaz's field. And so we move to scene two of this radical loving kindness. The first was Ruth's sacrifice and pledge to Naomi. The second, we enter into this space and here comes Boaz. Now I picture this big, joyful guy and he walks in and he tells his servants, hi, the Lord, the Lord bless you. And they shout back, the Lord bless you too. So I imagine him being very friendly and his character and his reputation precede him. He sees Ruth, he asks about her, he gets all the information and he's taken aback. And in chapter two, verse 10, he talks to her and he tells her, come, come gather in my fields. Come gather, I will protect you, you'll have food and water. And she falls on her face and she says, why have you found favor in my eyes? in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Boaz affirms Ruth and blesses her and her character and her sacrifices. And then she once again says this thanks. She's in awe that she's found favor in his eyes. This is possibly the first time that she has experienced kindness since leaving Moab, and maybe even since her husband's passing. Boaz acts in this radical loving kindness, and I think he was genuinely a kind man, close to God, but maybe he had also a soft spot in his heart for foreigners because his own mother Rahab had also been a foreigner. Boaz tells Ruth, I'm sending you home with food. You have nothing to worry about. Ruth takes the food back to Naomi, and Naomi is astonished. And she's like, oh my gosh, where did all this come from? Ruth tells her that she's been picking in Boaz's field. And we see a completely new Naomi arise. It's like this light switch has been turned on. Imagine a little light bulb. Her light bulb turns on. And I just picture Naomi now sitting at her desk, conducting a new scheme, or a new plan. And she tells Ruth, this is amazing. Not just because of the food, but Boaz's family. He just might be the answer to our problems. So we go back to Naomi, scheming on her desk, writing out her plan. And she wants to secure this future for Ruth. And so she tells Ruth, part of my plan is, I need you to bathe, you're going to put on bridal clothes, and you're going to go in the middle of the night into a public threshing floor where many people use it and where many men are laying at the base of their, their pile to protect it. I don't know about you guys, but Ruth really had to trust one God and two Naomi because I don't know if I would have just been like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go do that. 
Ruth sneaks in the middle of the night, lays at Boaz's feet, and he wakes up, and he asks, who is that? And she says, it is your servant, Ruth. And he is taken aback yet again. And he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, because you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So here we have scene three of this loving kindness, of Ruth coming to lay at Boaz's feet, taking the initiative. Some might say she proposed first. And recognizing in Boaz the opportunity, the security in him. Boaz, in response to her loving kindness, says, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this. And this is significant because Ruth, her husband passed, she was a Moabite. She did not have to abide by their rules and their laws. But she chose to, one, secure Naomi, find security for her mother-in-law, and two, to carry on the family name. And I imagine Boaz being very humbled as well, because Boaz was most likely the same age as Naomi. And so in Ruth choosing Boaz, he recognizes that she risks not being able to get pregnant, and for the second time, being left a barren widow. So Boaz says, I'm going to act on it. There's, and, but he said, you know, there's somebody who's ahead of me, so I'm going to be an honest man, got to tell him. He takes all the elders, goes to the gate, tells his friend, hey, come here, they talk about it, and the guy says, nope, I'm good, thank you, that's too much responsibility. And Boaz, unselfishly, without like a split second of thought, says, okay, I'm stepping into that role. And here we have our scene four of this loving kindness. This arrangement really didn't have any benefit for Boaz. In fact, he was going to lose money. And if they were blessed enough to have one child and one child only, that's, that child would carry on Ruth's deceased husband's name, not his. And Boaz also had to pay for Naomi's field. You see them at the gate, and the entire town is praising Boaz and Ruth and showering blessings on them. Boaz and Ruth marry, and shortly after, she gives birth to Obed. And we see Naomi glowing, glowing at the fact that she has this child, and once again, a completely different Naomi than the one we first met at the beginning of the story. And the women of the town, the same women who at the beginning of the story left them there, didn't acknowledge Ruth, now are telling Naomi, oh my gosh, praise God for your daughter-in-law who loves you so much, who is worth more than seven sons. In those days, that meant a lot. 
So I want to propose to you that this radical chesed, this loving kindness, is what caused this chain reaction through the book of Ruth. We don't know if Ruth had experienced this type of kindness before. Perhaps she had, perhaps through her own family, perhaps through someone else. Have you ever experienced a type of kindness? A type of self-sacrificing loving kindness? I know for me, I've experienced it through my family, through my parents and their sacrifices, through my grandparents who sacrificed to come to this country to give us a better life before we were even born. We need this type of radical, loving kindness in our world today. Today, we live in a very self-centered, very what makes me feel good, what makes me look good, we cancel people when we don't agree, and we rush around, hardly noticing or hardly being even able to notice people right next to you who are living in that dark pit. If Ruth hadn't stopped to recognize Naomi in that pit of pain and isolation, we may not even have this story. We struggle to live with and to have conversations with people who are different than us, people that don't agree. And yeah, maybe they're a stranger, maybe they're someone that you've met only a couple times, but sometimes these people are in our own home, our workspace, our church, and we create wars between us. There's so much in this world. <laughs> there's so much good, but there's also so much loneliness and pain. I work in the ER, and I've worked in the ER for many years. Um, I'm a nurse, and now I'm working there as a chaplain. And I, in one year, I witnessed more loneliness, sadness, anger, violence, lack of love in one year that some people will never see in a lifetime. I meet people every single day I'm at work who are not just physically broken, but emotionally and spiritually. Some people, it's as simple as taking a moment to sit and listen to their story, and it's been years. Others have never had a kind word or life spoken into them. My experience has allowed me to recognize and value the need for hope, forgiveness, redemption, and this radical loving kindness. Now, you might say, well, that's easy for you because you have everybody there and you work in the ER, so naturally you will easily find people who need this. But I'm going to tell you that these same hurting people are around us every single day. So, yes... I have to acknowledge that it is difficult. It is hard to live this out. I don't want to just stand up here and tell you this and be like, it's easy. But I want to encourage you guys, one, to pray and put yourself in God's hands and ask him to help you have the eyes to see the need, the ears to hear, the heart to feel, the courage to do something about it, 
and the wisdom to know how to address it. It's always hard taking that first step. Sometimes we spend so much time in the planning phase or the figuring out how I'm going to do it. And this quote I'm going to share with you is probably very, it's very simple. But I thought it a little humorous and just truth. Dr. Hamilton was a pharmacist and he is now a kindness researcher, writer, and speaker. And he says it like this, he says, talking about kindness motivates us to be kind, but there are times when the best thing isn't to talk at all, but to just get on out there and be kind. So let's not wait. Maybe this is why Ruth's story is in the Bible, to serve as an example that God can use anyone, anywhere, any way, to start a chain reaction that causes a miraculous change. So if you're sitting here and wondering how God can use you, listen tonight. If he can use Ruth, who was a Moabite, foreigner, homeless, widow, poor, immigrant woman, to show a radical form of loving kindness, then what makes you think that God can't use you? What makes you think that God can't use you maybe in your season of waiting, season of schooling, retirement, season of raising children? Who are we to put that limit on God? If he can use Ruth to be a shining light in the dark days of Israel back then, he can do it again. Her story is a living example of how her acts impacted one person after another and affected an entire generation. And so we get to the end of Ruth's story. The women are praising Ruth, telling Naomi, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Ruth is happy holding the baby. And just like that, Ruth quietly disappears. She disappears. She's not really mentioned much again. But what is left is her legacy of loving kindness. Her loving kindness impacted so many generations that it led to the lineage of the Messiah. Ruth allowed herself to be used as a catalyst. And tonight, we celebrate another example of this said, of this unselfish loving kindness. And we celebrate it through communion and celebrate the greatest example. That is a self-sacrificing loving kindness that God had for you and for me when he died on the cross. So where in your life does this same loving kindness need to be shown? In your family, maybe to yourself, a friendship, work, your commute. But as we take part of the emblems tonight, and celebrate together. 
I ask you to reflect. Will you allow God to use you to be the catalyst to those around you? And will you show that loving kindness even when it's hard? Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.